0: You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today we're very excited to have a special guest speaker with us. Now let's prepare our hearts as our special guest brings forth God's truth from His Word today.
1: you know that the primary use of a a heart defibrillator paddle is to disrupt a disorganized heartbeat? in order to shock that heart back into the proper pumping rhythm. So when a, when a heart is fibrillating, it may be quivering with a lot of activity, but it's not actually pumping life-sustaining blood to the body. And therefore, it needs to be shocked or jolted back into a helpful heartbeat. Well, there are several biblical examples of how God will allow trauma to come into our lives, the lives of his people, to act as a spiritual jolt to bring us back into a proper rhythm with God. Now, typically, that is what we call revival, that something changes in our life that brings us back into that closer relationship with God. And we as a nation today are reeling under the jolt of change. But the question that is before us is whether or not it will lead us to revival. So over the next four weeks, today and the next three weeks, we are going to be talking about revival during our our Sunday school time together. Next week, we're going to be talking about the need of revival in the pulpit, not, not here so much as across our country. We have come to the point where so much is watered down in churches and we need revival. We're going to be talking about revival in the area of, of holiness and how we need to have the revival there. And then I think the fourth one we're going to be talking about what happens when revival comes? But today we're going to be looking at revival and what it is all about. What is this thing, revival? And so let me just take a moment and tell you that I am no expert on the subject of revival. In fact, at, at times when I think about revival and I was studying it, I, I feel really unqualified to speak on the subject of revival because I have never experienced revival in my life in the sense of what I think of when I see the great revivals that have happened across um, uh, our world at, at different times. And so I feel, I feel like I, I am unqualified for that. I have never been um, in that point where I really experienced that. Now I've seen God do some great things and a lot of people saved. And I've been to a lot of revival meetings. But I would have to say that I've never witnessed God coming down and moving among his people like we hear in these revivals that's happened in other countries. However, I am going to speak on the subject even though I feel unqualified because I'm reminded of the true sense of, uh, of the fact that I, I'm inadequate and, and unable to fully understand all of the riches of Christ and all of his glory and everything there is about him. And yet I teach on Christ and I teach on other things. As a sinner, I fall short of, of Christ and, and his salvation, all he has for me. And so I I realize that if we are going to experience revival, then we need to talk about it. And so that's what we're going to do and so if we're going to experience a revival we need to pray about it and it is my hope that we will one day see a moving of god where he comes down in our midst and so today i'm going to uh deal with the the issue related to revival and what it's all about and so I, also, I, I will also mention that each of these messages in reality will be dealing with descriptions of revival rather than a definition of what revival is. More of a description because you see often when we try to define revival, we simply find ourselves describing it and not defining it. And, and to illustrate that for you, if, if you think about, for example, the attributes of God, we could go through many of the attributes of God, but the attributes of God are not, are not God himself. You understand what I'm saying? They are ways of recognizing God, but they are not God himself. He is, he is much more than even the attributes. They describe him but they do not define God in his essence. Also to illustrate the doctrine of the Trinity, it's true and and we believe it with all of our hearts and it helps us to understand the Godhead, which is a divine mystery, but the doctrine of the Trinity is not the Godhead itself. And we know know that God is uh, indescribable in his attributes. He is indescribable in his essence. That's why we call God transcendent. It means that that God is beyond us. We cannot actually conceive of him. That's why we call him holy, holy, holy. It means that he is utterly separated from us, beyond us, indescribable in who he is. And so then we, we should never really try to define God because that is an utter impossibility. Because you see, if I could define God, I wouldn't really need him. I'd, I'd be like God myself if I could define him. And so what we really do is we try to, in our descriptions of God and his attributes, we, we, we just learn more about that aspect of him. And that's all we can do is just describe him. Brian Edwards, in his book Revival, gives a good description of revival, then. He said a true Holy Spirit revival is a remarkable increase in the spiritual life of a large number of God's people accompanied by any awesome awareness of the presence of sin with a passionate longing for holiness and unusual effectiveness in evangelism leading to the salvation of many unbelievers. Now that is a definition. It's a very good definition of revival. But what I want to do is try to get beyond the 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 description, or I guess well, that's what it is. It's a description of revival, and I want to get beyond the description and try to define. Revival and what it is in its essence. And I feel a great place for us to start is in the book of Isaiah. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 57. And, and we're going to primarily look at one verse here and, and take it apart into two things here this morning. And we're, we'll need to move rather quickly through this because I've got a lot of material that I want to cover in this. So verse 15 of Isaiah 57, for thus saith the high and low, lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So first of all, as we try to define revival, revival is a reaching high. And when we look at the first part of that verse where it says, for thus says Saith the high and the, the lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in a high and holy place. So revival is, is reaching high. If you, if you know anything at all about revival, you know that revival often be, begins with an awesome sense of dissatisfaction with ourself. We come to that point where we realize I have fallen short of what I should be in my Christian life. It's only only right that that should, in a sense, be our starting point. A desire to have a higher experience in our Christian life. And so, Lord, we say plant my feet on higher grounds. And boy, do we ever need that today in our world today. It seems that the foundations are eroding away and we're sinking lower and lower and we want God to set our feet back on a higher ground. And I would say that as Christians today, We are very much aware of the fact that that we need revival. We need individual revival. We need uh, uh, corporately as a church, we need a revival. Across our land, nationally, we need to see revival. And so we ought to feel this dissatisfaction with the way things are in in our homes as well, and the way things are in our hearts, and the way things are in the house of God, and the way things are in our nation. All of that should lead us to a desire of a higher experience with God in our individual lives. The old-time preachers used to, to say that what we need to do is break up the fallow grounds, and, and this is the ground. The fallow ground is the ground that has become hardened. It has become calloused and, and, and coarse through lack of rainfall and lack of farming over the years. And, and it becomes almost like concrete. It's, it's rock hard. And if there is ever going to be any fruit that, that is produced on that ground that's going to come from it, that ground, first of all, needs to be broken up. And so whether, whether the farmer uses a pick or a plow or some other kind of instrument, that ground has to be broken up. It's a very painstaking exercise, and there's a lot of, a lot of sweat, but it has to be done. And so this reaching high that we're talking about, that I believe God wants us to have, is a desire for a higher knowledge of him, a desire for a greater knowledge of God in our life. Charles Finney, who, is, who, who was a revivalist, used to talk about how we need to set down at times and write down our sins that we can recall, both sins of commission and sins of omission, and then weep over them. Write them down and weep over them. That's a good place to start, isn't it? Really, that's what breaking up the fallow ground is all about. To come to terms with the things that we know That we have committed against God and not really felt and not really dealt with in our life. We've just allowed them to to go on or to pass over and we don't really deal with them the way we should. And so this reaching higher for, secondly, for a, a, a better experience in our Christian life. Hosea said in Hosea 10, 12, sow to yourself in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness upon you. And so this reaching high, though it it is a, a given that we must be looking for something better in our Christian experience, we must we must have a dissatisfaction with the status quo as it is right now in our lives. This reaching high that I believe that God wants us to have is a desire for a higher knowledge of him. A desire for a greater knowledge of God. Now listen, if there, if there was a definition of revival, not a description, but a definition... It would be this, I believe, revival is when God comes. Revival is when God comes. And let me explain that. We understand that God is always with us. We understand the attribute of of the omnipresence of God. He is always here. The Holy Spirit of God came on the day of Pentecost and he hasn't left us. He is with us. He is among his people where two or three are gathered. The Bible says that he is there. The Lord, Lord Jesus said that he is in the midst. But what we are talking about here is something other than this, something different, something very special. We must never get to the point in our life of thinking that God is not at work. And I think that sometimes happened. We look at what's happening in our country. We look at what happens in our government. We look at all this. and, And we would almost come to that point where we say, well, I wonder why God isn't working. I wonder where God is at during this. And we must never get to that point where we think that God is not working. If we know anything at all about God, we know that God is at work today and every day he is working. He's at work in his church. He's at work in America. He's at, he's at work uh, around the world. The thing that we need to understand, though, is God's work is not always blessing We often think that if God isn't blessing, then God isn't working, but God's work sometimes is disciplining, bringing chastisement, bringing judgment. His work is not always planting and sowing and reaping. His work is often pruning. And I believe that that's what God is doing. To a large extent today in our land, God is at work and we must not despair whatever or or even despise whatever God is doing at this present moment. Even in even in this day of small things, revival is a special manifestation of God's presence and God's power. And that's what we want god is with us god is working but this this is on another level this is this is uh, another realm this is another dimension if you will will where god comes down in mighty power that's what we want is to see him come down in that mighty power. Now, listen, this is what this reaching high is. More than than a reaching high for something better in our Christian experience. Sometimes we think of that when when we reach, I, I want a better experience in my life, in my Christian life. I want more than what's going on right now. There must be a reaching high for God, a desire for him. You see, our desire for revival should ultimately be a desire for God. Let me repeat that. Our desire for revival should ultimately be a desire for God himself. Now, the authenticity of our desire for revival is only related to our desire for God. You hear what I'm saying there? Our authenticity for our desire for revival is only uh, relative to a desire for God. And, and so what I'm saying here, you see, you can desire revival of sorts and not have a real desire for God. But that's not really a desire for revival at all. I mean, let's face, face it, who in their right mind whether they are saved or not, wouldn't desire conditions to be better in our world or things to be better in our country. Who with their eyes wide open and, and their hearts soft at all could not wish for conditions to be better in the church across our land? Who wouldn't want their family and their friends and their neighbors to be saved? But that's not the question concerning revival. The question before us is who wants God? We're not talking about all of these other things. Who really wants God? That's a different thing altogether. You see, revival is a desire for and the realization of the divine presence, a reaching high for the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, as Isaiah said. Revival comes when Christians are longing for God and God alone. You see, revival is a desire for and the realization of the divine presence, a reaching high for the high and lofty one who inhabits heaven. Look at what Isaiah says over in chapter 64. And verses 1 and 2, in chapter 64 and, and verses 1 and 2, he, he, it's a wonderful cry for revival here when he says, Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence, as when the melting fire burneth, and the fire causes the water to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence I like that phrase at thy presence what was Isaiah doing here he was reaching high for God himself and I challenge you today but I'm I'm also asking my own heart do I have a desire for God above all other things do you have a desire for God above all other things I believe Duncan Campbell, who is, is best known for being a leader of the Hebrides uh, revival, gave one of the best definitions of revival that there has ever been when he said that revival is a community of people saturated by God. Saturated by God. Can we honestly say today that as a church, we are saturated by God? People who have experienced revival this they say God is everywhere. Duncan Campbell also used to say everything is real in our church today except God. Someone else said, when we are reading the serious yet exciting stories of God in revivals of the past, the only response possible is an awesome, God has come. God has come. Is that the longing of our hearts? Is our goal God himself? Not joy, not peace, not even blessing. And, and, and who wouldn't want all of those things? Those are great things, and there's nothing wrong with those things and, and longing for those things. But is our heart desire for God himself, even if we don't have peace, even if we don't have joy, even if we don't have prosperity in our life, even if we find ourselves cast into prison, is it still our heart's desire? I want God. I want to be saturated by God. What is revival? It's a reaching high. Not just for a greater experience of our Christian life, for more blessing, but for God himself. Even if we don't get all of these these other things, I just want God. And sadly, the desire in many Christians' hearts is for something rather than someone. It is for an it rather than a him. You understand what I'm saying here? You see, your it can be an experience. It can be a good experience at that. Your it can be a doctrine. And do we ever need more doctrine in these days? But that could be your it. It could be your church. It could be a specific type of church. It could be this church. It could be, it could be working the work that you're doing for God. It could be, you know, revival itself could be the it. But an it will not do. It must be a him. It must be God. And this is the message. The reaching high can only be attained by a bending low. Ab S- Simpson put it put it well when he said, "I wish to speak to you about Jesus and Jesus only." I often hear people say, "I wish I could get hold of a div- of divine healing, but I cannot." Some- sometimes they say, "I have got it." If I ask them, "What have you got?" the answer is. Sometimes I, I have got the blessing. Sometimes it is I've got the theory. Sometimes it, I have got the healing. Sometimes it is I have got the sanctification. But I thank God we have been taught that it is not the blessing. It is not the healing. It is not the sanctification. It is not the thing. It is not the it that you want. But it is something better. It is the Christ himself. And he continued, plenty of people get the idea and do not get anything out of it. They get it into their head and it into their conscience and it into their will. But somehow they do not get him into their life and spirit because they have only that which is the outward expression and symbol of spirituality. It was A.B. Simpson who wrote, once it was the blessing, now it is the Lord. Once it was the feeling, now it is the word. Once his gift I wanted, now the giver own. Once I sought for healing, now himself alone. All in all forever, Jesus will I sing. Everything in Jesus, and Jesus, everything. Now that's what revival is. If ever there was a definition a reaching high for nothing but God, and Christ alone. The late Henry Jowett was a a very well known preacher in his day, and he attended the the coronation of King Edward the Seventh, and. He recorded how in Westminster Abbey, he sat there observing the uh, assembling together of the great, the seating of the, the, the princes and the princesses and the dignitary and the dukes and the duchess and, and all of the other lesser no, nobility and, and how homage was paid to each of them. But then he wrote, but then the king arrived and all eyes turned away from all of those lower rank." And they were fixed on him. The king arrived. Has the king arrived in your heart? Has he showed up in your life? Or is it still all of these other things? There's nothing wrong with those things. They're often good things, but what we really need to desire in our life is, I want God. I want God to come down in my life. Is that who you're looking for? Nothing else will do. Everything else is a, is a substitute and it's a, it, it, it really becomes an idol if it's not God that we're looking for. Revival awakening begins in the person, a personal experience of individual Christians who have their heart revived. We say, well, how did that happen? Well, we need to go back to Isaiah 57 and, and we see that revival is a reaching high, but that's not all it is. It's not just a reaching high. The second thing that we see here in verse 15, it it is a bowing low. Halfway through that verse, it says, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. There must be a reaching high to the high and lofty one, but there also must be a bowing low. And God marries these two things, and this is the message. The reaching high can only be attained by a bowing low. You understand that? It can't be just reaching up there, but I need to be contrite before the Lord. The reaching high can only happen... It can only be achieved. It can only be acquired as I bow low before my King. And we all, we all want to see many sinners come to Christ. We wanna see our friends come to Christ. We wanna see our family members come to Christ. We cry out to God that, 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 they can, that they would be saved. But you know, that is only ever the result and the effects of Christians coming to Christ and having a passion for others to come to Christ. People being saved is only a side effect in revival because revival awakening begins in the personal experience of individual Christians who have their hearts revived. So how does that happen? Well, let me give you three ways that happens um, before we quit this morning. Number one, there must be a brokenness. There must be a brokenness. Jesus said in John chapter 12 and verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn uh, of, of, of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, what happens? It brings forth fruit. As Christians, we need to experience brokenness. And so what is brokenness? If we're going to experience, we need to understand what it is. Brokenness is a dying to self, a dying to selfish attitudes. Paul said in Galatians, he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. What's he saying there? He's saying, he's saying I, I'm not physically dead, but the old man is crucified with Christ, my old nature is dead and it is Christ and his life that is lived through me now and the life which I now live in the flesh, he says, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the message of brokenness in the New Testament is that there is not one cross, but there's two crosses in essence. And we are meant to be on the other cross. In a a sense, it is the same cross. For there, when our Lord Jesus died, our, our nature was put to death with him. Our cross is to recognize that we are dead with Christ and alive unto God through Jesus. Self has been put to death. If you're saved on the cross, it's been put to death, but we have a job uh, to recognize it, to reckon it dead, don't we? Because it seems to keep raising its ugly head in our lives. And so how, how is your self? It's kind of a nebulous term, isn't it? So let me put some flesh on that. Self is when we are critical of others. Self is when we are envious of others. Self is when we are irritable, when we, when we express uh, annoyances at the least little things in life, when we are resentful towards others for whatever reason, when we are anxious, when we worry. But self is also when we are shy. Overly shy when we are self-conscious, conscious, when we are reserved to the extent that we won't speak for Christ to others that we come into contact with on a daily basis. We will not step out for Christ. We won't be unashamed of Christ. Then when we relate to others, here's where self comes in. Self is when we are hard, when we are unyielding, in our attitudes towards others sometimes in this great theme of revival we become so personal about ourselves and so introverted that we forget that how we behave towards others has a, ha, has got as much to do with why we're not experiencing personal revival as how we behave or don't behave towards god it's connected Genesis three teaches us that man sinned towards God and his communion and fellowship was broken with God. But what happened in Genesis chapter four? Man sinned towards his brother after his fellowship with God was broken. And when he sinned against his brother, then we had murder. As soon as fellowship with God was cut off, it's so often's the case that our fellowship is cut off with our fellow man. So you see how the two are connected. So, so you know, self is often, so often manifested in our lives through unyielding to others Our unyieldingness to God can often be the measure of our unyielding to others. And so if we're not yielding, if we're unyielding to others and we have the wrong attitude to other people, we better check our spiritual life because we're broken in the fellowship as well. And so this matter of brokenness is, is the case of being a, a thousand choices every day of our lives. How we, how we react to things in our attitude. Revival, personal revival can be a continuous thing and it ought to be a continuous thing. Norman, Norman Grubb wrote in his book many years ago, Continual Revival, brokenness is a daily occurrence. And isn't that what our Lord tells us in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23 when he said, take up your cross daily and follow me? That means that there must be a daily brokenness where we bow before our Lord and we lose ourselves. Now please, please understand the difference. Self-denial is when you don't put salt on your french fries. And you don't, you don't put butter on your bread. You, don't, you go without chocolate, ladies, for, you know, a, a couple weeks or at, at least a couple hours in a day, you know. That's self-denial. Um, and, and so that's not what the Bible's talking about here. Denial of self is when you lose yourself. Everything. Jesus is all in all. That's what the Bible's talking about. And there's only one remedy for self, whether you're saved or struggling and and selfish or whether you're a lost sinner and you're bound by sin and habits and and you're on your way to hell. There's only one answer. And of course, that's at the foot of the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, That's the only place because it's only there that you see your sin and yourself as you really are. Where it is, is, is it, it broke the blessed son of God. That's when his body was broken because of our sins. The second thing is cleansing. And in First John, we are told if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ. God's son cleanses us. And it goes on cleansing us. And so... We, we struggle with sin and we struggle with things in our life, but we got to keep coming back to the cross daily and bowing ourselves before the foot of the cross. And, and then finally, it is filling. This is revival. It is a reaching high for God, but it can only be attained by a bending low in brokenness, in cleansing, and in filling. Empty that thou shouldest fill me, a clean vessel in thy hand with no power, but as thou givest graciously with each command, channels only, blessed master, but with all thy wondrous power flowing through us, thou canst use us every day and every hour. Is that not what we need? Andrew Murray said, just as water ever seeks and fills the lowest place, so the moment God finds you abased and empty, his glory and power will flow in. So when we humble ourselves before God and we're contrite before him, he pours his grace and his power into our life. Everything that springs from self and sin, as someone once said, all of those sins were put into another cup, which the Lord drank to the dregs of Calvary. So that's what we need. We need brokenness of our self, of our sin. We need cleansing in the blood of Jesus Christ. And we need the filling of the spirit in our life. And the only life that pleases God is his own life. And that's what revival is. The life of Jesus Christ poured into the human heart, a reaching high for God that is attained by a bowing low in brokenness, cleansing and filling with the full life of God himself. Personal revival must precede worldwide revival. The story's told of a family who went on vacation and they stayed in a bed and breakfast and a little girl was carried into her room late at night. She was already asleep and, and her daddy laid her in a bed and, and, and above the bed on the wall was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, right above her head. And on the wall at the foot of the bed, there was a vanity and there was a mirror on that vanity. <clears throat> Well, the next morning when the little girl woke up, she, she had never been in that room before and, and, and she woke up and she looked at the foot of her bed and she cries out, Mommy, Daddy, I can see Jesus. And she could see the reflection of his picture in that mirror at the foot of her bed. But then she sat up in her bed and she couldn't see Jesus anymore. When she laid back down, she could see Jesus. When she sat up, she couldn't see Jesus. She shouted to her mom and dad again. She said, when I lie down, I can see Jesus. But when I sit up, I can only see myself. And every time I see myself, I can't see Jesus. And that's it. That's revival in a nutshell. A reaching high for the high and lofty one will only come into my personal life when he, what, when he is all in all and myself is gone, and I'm not looking at myself, but I'm just looking for him. I want him above everything else. And my prayer is that God would do a work in our hearts this week and in this year and through these series of lessons that individually we will not be the same at the end of February and that our church will experience
0: God coming down. Let's pray.